Hello, and welcome to my office. I'm Carrie Lorenz. Thanks for joining me for conversations with fearless leaders from around the world as we discuss the mechanics of high performance, success, and failure, and what it takes to achieve more than you ever thought possible. I'm super excited about the conversation ahead. Today, we have joining us Marine Corps Brigadier General Len Anderson, currently the Deputy Commanding General of Marine Corps Forces Cyberspace Command. That's a mouthful. Who also, uh, as you say, sir, used to fly stuff more often, but probably more on that later. General, how are you? Hi, Carrie. I'm, I'm great. Thanks. It's going to be a great conversation. I've been looking forward to catching up. Yeah, I'm thrilled to have you here. Uh, you know what? I know you have a spectacularly busy schedule, and so this is really much appreciated. And, you know, truthfully, there's there's so much ground I feel like we could cover. I'm not quite sure where to start. So I'm just going to throw it way back and, you know, ask right out of the gate. Just tell me a little bit about yourself, where you grew up. Oh. How this, how okay. this I know, throwing it sure. way back. Matheson. Yes. Well, as you know, Carrie, you know, the, the, deep Minnesota roots of a northern uh, Minnesota native here, grew up in Duluth, Minnesota, not anywhere near what I would expect to be going into as a Marine or a Marine aviator uh, from northern Minnesota. So started with that, went to school in Chicago at the mighty Illinois Institute of Technology, south side of Chicago, which is where I had kind of my introduction into the military with ROTC and an ROTC scholarship. That's how I ended up in the military and it turned out to be the best thing uh, ever for me. Of course, I signed up because of a movie. I think I've told you this, we've had this conversation before as we uh, wait to see if Top Gun 2 is coming out anytime <sighs> soon. But the first one with uh, that airplane that's behind you. Yeah, I thought I was gonna fly those, but luckily mm -hmm. I went into the Marine Corps and had to fly F-18. So once, once I did that, uh, moved to Beaufort, and I was in VMFA 312, and fortunately out of there, I, I was selected to fly with the Blue Angels, and I did that for a few years, which was a, a obviously a great experience, and did a couple more years active duty before I decided to go into the reserve. So the reserve component of the Marine Corps has a wing, division, all the other aspects that we have in the active duty side, but I left to go to the reserve side as a flight instructor, and concurrently flying for cargo company, which I still do as a 757 captain when I'm not full-time active duty uh, reserve like I am right now with Marine Forces Cyberspace Command. As you say, it's a mouthful. How did I get here after flying 20 years? I don't know, but it has been uh, one of the most fascinating, uh, challenging, motivating jobs that I've ever had in the Marine Corps. And I'm, I don't say that lightly because flying is certainly a passion. Uh, but this is really something that, as you've seen across any news articles, et cetera, lately, is an important part of the security of our nation uh, with cyberspace. So certainly feel challenged here. And I think that's what keeps me going every day. So I think what's interesting about that, though, and you are uh, one of the things that I enjoy about spending time with you, even just conversationally and bettering around different ideas, is that you're pretty self-deprecating. You also have uh, what I would call a unique blend of both humility and confidence, and which is pretty compelling, right? You don't you don't find that in a lot of leaders, and yet you look at your background and where you came from. And hey, I grew up in Wisconsin, small town girl. I knew absolutely zero fighter pilots growing up. Well, I met a couple through my dad, zero Blue Angel pilots, and here you're from Duluth. 
when somebody listens to that, because where they see you now, they might be really tempted to say, well, you're really lucky or you must have more access to tools or resources or whatever the case may be, because you have a spectacular career. So what even gave you the idea or the notion again, early on, and I know this is throwing it back, but, but I think it's important to set a foundation from a mindset perspective that you could even do it. Like what, what made you think, oh, I have a shot at that. Yeah, that's, uh, it's interesting. Nothing really ever came easy to me, you know, growing up, it wasn't like I was number one in my class. I wasn't, uh, you know, looked at all for any type of sports scholarships at college, but I certainly knew a lot from my grandfather and my dad about hard work. Um, they they both worked hard, and and my dad still you know works pretty hard even in ret- in retirement. But I I think just learning that as a young uh, teenager um, and continuing the grind even through college, as we all probably experienced as freshmen, it was close. It was pretty hairy. Didn't know if I was going to make it through college, and. <laughs> Uh, ended up making it through college, get to flight school. And holy cow, this is a whole new thing. Never flew an airplane before. Like you said, I first time was at Whiting Field, T-34, you know, feet on the pedals shaking because I can hardly hold the brakes because I'm scared out of my mind. And I'm about to fly an airplane, you know, obviously with an instructor in the back, but and wondering how did I get here? To a point of almost failing when I was in Kingsville and flying jets and, and I received the dreaded, down, you know, for my landings prior to my safe for solo check. And I thought it was over again, you know, and was able to, to, to get another chance and, and it, and it worked out. So it wasn't like it was to where I was actually to get into an F-18 was completely just successful and rolled out in front of me. And it always happened and, and worked. I will say later on though, once I knew what was needed you know, at the squadron level and flying, I just put everything I had to study in the tactics, studying the airplane. I knew everything I could possibly get from the books. It was just a matter of, could I fly the airplane and then just dedicate everything, my time in the airplane to learning how to best do that. And, and uh, yeah, it turned out I could fly an airplane and it worked out. Uh, as I approached the Blue Angels thing, I'll go back to that, I guess, to flight school. I had never seen the Blue Angels either, Carrie. Didn't even know what they were. That's crazy. Uh, I was in flight school. Uh, yep, yeah, it is crazy. I was in flight schools in Pensacola, Florida, where we train all Navy and Marine aviators. And we were on the beach, and these blue airplanes flew by and didn't. And I was like, what is this? What is, you know, what is this nonsense? And how do you get, how do you get to do yeah. that? <laughs> uh, so it was kind of, in, you know, the seed in the back of my head. And when it came time to apply and, and, and think about joining the Blue Angels, it was one of those things, Carrie, you talk about the humility and, you know, you really want to be humble in the ready room. You know, you're not trying to, con- you know, conversely to what you see in movies like Top Gun, you, you're really trying to be part of the team. Just, just do your work, not be the, not be the rooster, you know, of the, of the ready room. So when you apply to the Blue Angels, you can imagine some of the, the spears that start coming your way. And yeah, it worked out. I, I don't know how to explain all of it here. I think there is a, a little bit of an, of an aspect of, of luck to that, but I've never quit. I've never given up on something that I wanted to do. It wasn't really until 
I made the Blue Angels and we started thinking and I started thinking about visualization, not just in what we fly, but what you want to do. Uh, and I'm not saying repeating a mantra will make things happen for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think it was just continued work. And then when I made a decision, mm-hmm. and I still do this today, I'm all in, Carrie, right? Like I go, I'm in. And unfortunately, yeah. sometimes yeah. to my detriment, mm-hmm. I have two throttle settings, right? I'm either full yeah. Yeah. or off. I, I'm not very good at the middle ground. It's so I, you know, I, I do think there are some negatives to that, but for the most part, uh, there are some positives as long as I make the right decisions to go 100. Oh, sure. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, it's kind of funny because it's. Uh, I have a feeling I'm similarly wired to you, and I don't know that I necessarily knew that until probably I hit high school, and I had to take a couple of whatever like general ed classes, and they were the worst grades I got. And I remember getting grounded several times in high school because, you know, my whatever, I wasn't turning in my homework. And I'm like, I'm so bored in the class, which to me meant then when I'm bored, I tap out. Like it's super Mm. hard for me to stay engaged because there's not that level of challenge there. But what I think is interesting and one of the common threads and even what I'm kind of picking up hearing you say though, is that uh, you know, it's this ability that whether it's it's that first down in in flight school, whether it's something else that happens professionally, is that I feel like I see too often right now that people think that if they've done the work that they're entitled to a successful outcome. And what I've found to be true, whether it's research or personal experience, you're entitled to nothing. And you have to keep working. And those people who remain successful, over a course of time, not just a one and done, not just a lucky one-off, are also the ones who are dedicated to not only staying relentlessly curious, but to the process of learning and being open to that, right? Being open to saying, you know what? I don't have the answer to that. Let's figure it out. I mean, did you did you experience where you saw some people that you've you've worked with in the past, no names, right? That you were like, man, that person is a stud. They they are going to be a top performer. They're they're going to knock mm-hmm. it out of the park for as long as they stay here. And then they started riding on their coattails, or on their own coattails, resting on their laurels. I guess is I guess is what I was looking yeah. for. No, absolutely, um, Carrie. It, some of that happened early on, right in flight school. You know, maybe for you know, people like us that weren't able to have your own private pilot license or access Mm -hmm, to airplanes. mm -hmm. We had to really learn and work and figure this out. You know, like I said, a first time flying with the Navy, there's others that came in with private licenses, did awesome, right? To just crush it to get and then selected jets. But what they'd done for the last year was not study and just, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. use what they had Mm -hmm. uh, to get to that point. And then they showed up to jet training and that's a whole different ballpark. And, and within months they had failed out because they were not prepared to put in the work. You know, you always hear that, right? Just do the work. But um, yeah, some of that, some that had that advantage certainly could, could make it a certain distance. And then, like you said, it just kind of, it just kind of quits. I would say here for me at cyber flying aside, when I first showed up, I had to ask, as you can imagine, a ton <laughs> of questions. One, I'd had to stop them a lot because there's all there's a whole new language here. Oh it's yeah. At the, yeah. 
the acronym soup that you and I are used to for on the aviation side, no problem. But this was a, another new realm. And I'm engaged with some really smart individuals. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not I'm not a developer. I'm not a programmer. I'm not uh, an operator. I'm not an exploitation analyst. I've got individuals that have done this stuff for a long time, Marines, civilians, contractors. And I had to take everybody and go, look, no acronyms. I don't know what you're talking about. And I will say even today, I've been in this job for a little over two years. And even just this week, uh, as I was taking a brief, I, I've stopped them and asked. I'm not embarrassed about it anymore, mm -hmm. right? I, mm -hmm. I, I, at first, you're a little bit like, oh, I'm the general. I'm supposed to kind of know what's going on. I got over that within a week because I, <laughs> I had to ask the questions. And I still do. And to your point of learning is going to be uh, what keeps me engaged for sure. Well, I think that's I think that's a, another key component right there, because, again, an assumption would be for a lot of people that you look like you've had this track, that you've had everything figured out, that you, you know, you're on panels, you're this subject matter expert right now that people go to like you're doing real world, really important secret stuff right now which uh, we're not going to delve into. But one of the challenges that I even see that, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate in what I do now, I get to work with a lot of, you know, Fortune 500, Forbes Global 2000 companies that when you look at the executive level, so when you look at the board level or leadership, or when you're looking at business owners, they've, they've all, and even from a survey perspective, have indicated within the last probably 12 to 14 months, cybersecurity is one of almost every board's top concerns. And when you start digging into the research and the answers that they have, they also say, yeah, I'm reasonably sure that I know what's happening. And then you dig a little further and they're like, I actually don't think any of my people know what's going on. And yet it's been noted as one of their top critical areas that they need to be giving attention to resources, infrastructure. But I think people are still seeing this so much as an IT problem, not as a a supply chain problem, not as an operations problem, not as an, this is an everybody problem. And you've had to, you've had to speed learn all the vernacular, the terminology. And I mean, I guarantee half of America right now still doesn't know what the cloud is, or they think something's in the cloud that it actually means it's up there somewhere. Not that it's in a database in Omaha, <laughs> right. right? So, so how now that you've been drinking from the fire hose for the last for the last year, how do you pass along that lesson learned at scale? Yeah, I will say you mentioned some of the companies that put it on their priorities as number one or number two, wherever it might be. Mm -hmm. But really, all you have to do is follow the money and look at the investment sure. that they've actually put into cybersecurity. And I would say that. A quality cybersecurity program is a very well-paid insurance plan that you cannot match. Mm -hmm. When you look at the hospital systems, the education systems that are being uh, held at ransomware, um, mm -hmm. frustrating. It's a problem that we have to, you know, tackle as a nation between our work here, Department of Homeland Security, all the other things you've seen, you know, with malicious cyber actors. The the, the problem with this domain is that it's open to anybody. Anybody, mm -hmm. you know, with a laptop right now that has uh, access to the Internet can find weaknesses. I mean, you look at some of the recent exploitations and, and I mean, it, 
some of these Windows systems are old. Like they they have never they don't pay for upgrades, right? Mm-hmm. As an example, yep. you don't pay for the licenses in there. That is just asking for that type of intrusion. So I say that as one thing, just the investment in cybersecurity. I think in 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 some ways people are coming around now, but there wasn't a lot of investment previously. In my current role, you know what I do as cyber with Joint Force Headquarters uh, Marines, you know, I'm on the offensive side. So I'm glad that uh, uh, I don't have to be fully defensive. I have to have a defensive mindset. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt mm-hmm. with some of with our operations. But I think the advantage in this domain does go to the offense. It is so widespread. Things change hourly, daily. I mean, it's a very dynamic terrain. So uh, yeah, it's just, we really have to be agile. And and the, the, the problem with our overall nation cybersecurity is that we want a free and open internet. We want free speech. We want First Amendment. We don't have a big switch that's going to sh- turn off this firewall to protect our our nation, you know, like we do with in other domains, right? We wouldn't let these same type mm-hmm. of things happen mm-hmm. in the land and sea and air domains, but people having, uh, you know, free and open internet, that's that's what we want in this country. There's a balance here where we're always going to have sort of a I don't want to say we're going to be fighting on our heels, but we certainly have to be a little bit more conscious of what we need to be doing personally. You know, when we, for those, of course, during the pandemic that were teleworking, you know, if you weren't using VPNs, if you weren't using, you know, two-factor authentication because it's too hard or it slows down my internet speed, well, guess what? You're just asking for it. I know, I know. You're asking for, I can't, you know, you hear about the Zoom bombs and these other things that happen. Yes, it takes a little bit of work. It takes a little bit of time. It takes a little bit of, oh, I have to get my encrypted key out to log into my accounts every time I open it. I highly recommend that for all of your emails. I've completely changed the way that I work on the internet um, uh, after uh, after this job. So there's a lot of things we have to do on an individual side. Because when you read a lot about or watch shows like Mr. Robot and the hacking and, and stuff. The hack is really a social engineering tool. It's it's phishing. It's finding, you know, username, passwords. People don't change them to, to the point where somebody buys a Nest thermostat. I'll give you this as one example. Nest thermostat. They have a, you know, password out of the box. You put that in your home. Don't change the password. It has an IP address. Your home Wi-Fi is now vulnerable. It's you have to change these things. So anyway, there's well, my there's my rant on cybersecurity, Carrie. It's 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 frustrating because there's some responsibility at the individual level, and until we're used to that, you know, I don't I don't know how we're going to fix it. But I think that's where it gets back to as well. Uh, you know, I mean, you even discussions I had with you several years ago. I think I. I think I told you once that I was at, like at a hotel and I'm like, yeah, you know, I usually hop on the internet real quick, but I get in and get off and you were like, you're not using a VPN. I'm like, uh, too hard, man. <laughs> well, you know, by the end of that conversation, I'd already thrown my credit card down and I'm all, you know, VPN compliant. Yeah. But it's, again, this is how, how do you make that that information accessible to the masses that then... Obviously, you know, for a lot of people listening right now, they've probably heard in the news in the last year-ish, let's say, uh, that there were a couple of massive breaches from very good companies that went widespread. Like if you have any bit of technology in your home, 
the chances it's been breached at a at a at a level that you may not see right now, but that data is living somewhere online that you know you no longer have custody of. And again, it's I'm curious to know though, even for you with your background and with going into this role and even moving forward, if one of the strengths that you bring to a situation like this or that you will continue to bring to any other organization is that you are going to what if a scenario because this is what you've grown up doing from planning. What if this happens? Where's our divert? What if this? What if this? What if this? Where so many companies are like, oh, no, 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 no. We, I know it's a possibility, but we literally can't handle that right now. We're, we're playing whack-a-mole as it is. That will be catastrophic for us if that happens. So they don't even address it because it falls into the too hard category, even though you go back to the board survey or the C-suite survey or the owner survey, and they're like, yeah, it's one of our top five concerns. At the same time, they have their foot on the horse in the in the circus that has its head in the sand. How do you 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 work with just loads of super talented young people right now, and yep. you're going to be moving on eventually? Yep. How do you bring the same language and the clarity and specificity in communication to the people you're going to move on to? to impart upon them the importance of what you've learned in the last couple of years. That was a really long statement, but no, it is what it is. I, I, I hear where you're going. I'm going I'm to tackle the first part when you talk a little bit about what do we bring here to cyber. And of course, there's a lot of smart uh, civilians. Uh, and so a lot of those are former military as well. But you nailed it with the, the planning portion, like Marine Corps planning process and tackling the one chunk at a time, kind of like, you know, when you and I were planning on flying off of an aircraft carrier, it's the, it's the pre-flight, you know, you get into the airplane, mm -hmm. now it's the launch, now it's the tanker now, and it's, and it's broken down in chunks. And we continue to go along those, those plans. And we had, you know, as you remember, you have a kneeboard card and when, you know, got to a certain field point, you were doing this. So you have your branch plans, your sequel plans. You've thought about this. You red team it. I'm a huge, mm. there's, I would say that of all the things I've learned over yep. the last two plus years is a red team and a good red team that thinks like the adversary that's trained to be neutral. Like you want them to try and be, you know, exactly like, you know, a malicious cyber actor online. Um, red teaming but is so, so important. I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you there just for a second though, because one of the, one of the primary key factors there to be able to do that successfully is that you have to have leaders and people in place, whether it's at that leadership level or the management level that are willing to put their ego aside and say, here's my plan, find the holes, like not just to prove me wrong. This is the best plan ever, but like, show me it's not about, it is not about who's right. It's about what's right because you know the adversary gets a vote. But I, I'm telling you, there, there are people listening right now and you've worked with these people and I've worked with these people. Their egos are too big to even offer up a red team because this is the plan, this is what we said we we're gonna do and don't worry, we've got it. And there's yeah. somebody sitting in the corner with their arms crossed, pulling off a Red Bull going, dude, you should have asked me, that ain't gonna yeah. work. I think, um a uh, great point. And although I'm going to use the term wargaming, which is what we do in the Marine Corps and the Marine Corps uh, and particularly Commandant with General Berger, 
looking at Force Design 2030. We're we, we are putting a lot of investment into the Marine Corps Warfighting Lab. We want to war game things to go through it. I think you can do that same thing on the industry side. If you want to call it war gaming, mm -hmm. that's fine. But you need to take the time to look ahead and, and try to, you know, look that two, three, five years down yeah. the road. What yeah. am I, you know, what are the risks? What are the balances? How do I want to, you know, posture my business for success? Because we we war game here as well. And even if it's a simple, um, it could be, it is not, does not have to be elaborate. I'm not talking about a giant command center. It could be a group of individuals around a table and you simply tabletop exercise this thing and open the discussion to your point. I walk in the room. I don't want to, for them to think that they have to come up to, with a right answer for the general. They, mm -hmm. I want for the organization and they can push back there's a lot of no's, you know, they, you know, that, that come my way. And that's, I'm all good with that because that's the only way to, to go, uh, you know, especially me, like coming in 20 some years flying the F-18, I'm certainly not going to step in and, and have a, you know, a fully informed decision on where we should be going uh, with, with cyber. But you have a good, you have a really good process and a framework that you have trained to that allows you to make better decisions, right? And that's where I even think that uh, people get lost a little bit, especially sometimes you'll find people who, you know, they might've found success in, in one channel and now all of a sudden find themselves leading a team or leading a group of people when that's not actually their skill set, right? Like they may, have, they may have been a baller salesperson or, you know, I don't know, really good in the HR. Maybe they were a spectacular engineer, that has just made or saved the company a ton of money. And now they find themselves in a leadership position. It goes back to, do you have really straightforward processes in place that allows your team to clarify the complex in an ever-changing situation? Um, do you think that's yeah. helped you? I do. I think it has helped me. There are plenty of yeah. individuals that I work with that are to your point, like the really good engineers, analysts, uh, like unlike what we normally see in military culture, where, you know, as you progress, you're going to progress into leadership roles. We are able to uh, provide opportunity for progression within that uh, work role, if that, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. They don't have to necessarily be leading a team. They can continue to be an analyst and, and grow and, and not have, um, you know, the pressure of trying to be you know, put in front of teams. I, I, I'm not sure if it was some of the time that I spent in front of people as a kid or, you know, doing stuff in Hollywood or putting myself out there with, you know, improvisation classes in Hollywood. I mean, things that you wouldn't do as a Marine and it certainly wouldn't do as an adult, but I don't, or you wouldn't think of as an adult. Um, but I found it, uh, I guess, opening for me to, to be able to take in those ideas and not, be as rigid in my decision-making. Mm -hmm. uh, there are certain decisions you do have to stick with, or you have to at least have a, you know, a spine in your, in your long range decision-making. You can't just take every input and, and vary, but I think that's allowed me to take that input and have a little bit better perspective. I, and it's certainly why I enjoy being a reserve Marine. When I go back, you know, and I work in the civilian sector, it's a different culture. Uh, it's great culture, great company. But then I miss the Marine Corps and I'm here, I'm working as a Marine, great mission, it's awesome. But I miss the culture of my civilian job. But I'm able to, you know, 
go back and forth and quite honestly, I get the best of both worlds with that. And I learn from both. That's the interesting right. thing too. It's, it's funny. You'll see, uh, you know, large corporations, successful tech companies referring to things that the military does. They want to come in. They want to meet the general. How do we do leadership? What do you guys study? And they read our war fighting books or reading Sun Tzu and everything else. And then the flip side, you come over here to some of this, this tech side, like I'm working in now, and you have leaders reading books on how to lead tech and, you know, how do you, how do you grow a team? And, and, you know, what are your uh, objectives and key results and all these industry nuances, because we think that that's how you have to lead in tech. I think it's a blend. There's, there's something about wearing this uniform, having that warrior ethos going to your point earlier, persistent engagement of just, you know, getting after the mission. Some of that's ingrained within the services and particularly in the Marine Corps. So it's a fine kind of blend. So I, I'm very fortunate to have, you know, those two experiences. So how do you find, and this is putting you on the hot seat a little bit, uh, how do you enjoy working for General Nakasone? Oh, thank you. Yes, General Nakasone. Obviously didn't know him, didn't know a lot about yeah. U.S. Cyber Command, but um, it didn't take me long to understand how thoughtful uh, he can be as a leader, as far as what is going on with such a large organization across, uh, you know, a problem set that's global. I get to focus on, you know, a few problem areas. He's got a lot more on his plate. Oh yeah. But the engagement yeah. uh, with him, and as you've probably, you know, if anybody that's seen some of his testimonies or um, engagements or speeches that he that he's able to do, a really an engaging leader. I've learned a ton from him. Uh, I, I consider him a mentor. He's, he's let me uh, really run with the position that I have here. And um, he steered me, he steered me a couple of times, you know, he's, I've, I've figured out my left and right lateral limits and that's, that's, that's okay too. Uh, <laughs> Did he, he's a Minnesota guy as well. So was he, he was is. he uh, Minnesota nice about it? Did he say, uh, General Anderson, have you considered X, Y, and Z? Was he like super nice about it or? Did he drop the yeah, hammer? Yeah, it was, it was something along those lines. I, I don't yeah, know if there yeah. was a have you considered, <laughs> but there was a general. It ended with a general. Yeah. And uh, yeah, anyway, so he's he is, yeah, from Minnesota in the small world. There's a lot of people from Minnesota, which is surprising in this in this space. But this will be That's a job. That's crazy. Yeah, this will, it is crazy. The fact that he's from the cities. Um. You know, I played hockey down in his, uh, you know, hometown when I was in, in high school. But I will take away the, you know, some of the leadership um, from General Nakasone, certainly in some of the ways that he handles staff, takes in information. I, I try to emulate the key points that he uh, that he is looking for to find out what's important. He makes it very clear to all of us what his priorities are. And I think that's great. I think sometimes yeah, yeah. you have a workforce that doesn't know what their boss wants them to be doing and focused on. That's where you can see even, and you know, you reference back to, you look at different what different cohorts are reading. And unfortunately, I think what can happen as well is that something becomes kind of the flavor of the day, if you will. And now somebody has some 17 step vision casting, you know, whatever framework that they're going to use. And, you know, you start, you start working with people or, or the folks who have a little bit of, of seniority or tenure and, you know, what do they do? They cross their arms and they're like, I'm just going to wait this out. And 
most people don't find confusing jargon and gobbledygook kind of like condescending leadership speak inspiring. You know, it's just like, why would you? Yeah. Yeah. What? But there's so much out there. So I think it's, uh, I think it's pretty, it's interesting watching him go through his thing. Uh, yeah. And he's, he's had a lot, a lot of different levers on him this year, a lot of different levers. And I'm sure that that's, uh, you know, not, not gone downhill, but felt throughout your channels as well. Um, so, so on that, um, I'm a big fan and I think, I think you maybe, I don't remember if we talked about it or saw because you just started popping back up on social. Uh, I'm a big fan of the book Endurance by Alex Hutchinson. Yes. Can't even get enough. So I have it in like all three formats, right? Because I'm like, oh, I'm going to go look at it on my Kindle. I'm going to listen to it on Audible. But one of the things that I find super compelling and because he does everything, he talks about things that are research-based and it's high performers and it's it's what can you endure and not only the physiology, but the psychology behind all of that, which I think is notable for a couple of reasons. Certain percentage of millennials right now, I think are getting a bad rap of being told they're soft, they're lazy, they're entitled, whatever the case may be. And then you have another group that will literally work their fingers to the bone, right? And I remember there was something in the book Endurance that he said he was referring to pain. And he said um, something along the lines of that the idea that pain may actually be uh, particularly useful. Um, and he said, like, use an analogy of like what cyclist or rower has not wanted immunity from pain mid race. Now, you know, I was a rower and you are quite clearly, uh, an endurance athlete right now. And, uh, you're doing a ton of really heavy triathlon training. How do you find endurance and and when you're operating in both worlds right now and again i mean mm. golly such a diverse background how do you think that plays out for you that mindset and how are you going to share what you learn with other people oh boy carrie i wish i knew that i i think i've told you <laughs> and you and i have had this conversation about me uh, avoiding writing i go with spurts you know oh. i'm excited about writing i want to write about some of the things that i've learned and then i feel and I'm, and I, you know, I really do applaud the fact that you've been able to, you know, get words on the page because there's, you go from the, the humble part of it to the, I'm an imposter part of it. Like oh. when I'm writing, like, who am I to be writing about this? And, and so then I kind of waver and, and, and move on. So I will get to that. I think I have something in mind and I think as it, as I go on to my next job, um, cause it, you know, later this summer, I will take command of the fourth Marine aircraft wing. I will get to fly jets again. And I never thought I'd be able to do that. You know, I'm 49 now I turn 50 at the end of the year to be able to do the triathlon stuff I'm doing to be able to fly high performance jets. Uh, I, yeah, I think there's something that I've kind of maybe found this mix of how to maintain that, that life as far as just physically and mentally, to the mm-hmm. endurance piece, even with this job, which is, you know, long hours and you see when I am working out, sometimes it's dark in the morning when I start, it's mm-hmm. dark in the evening when I do the second workout. And quite honestly, there's not a lot of time for much after that. Fortunately, my two boys are in college, so it's just a conversation or a text between them anyway. So I have this time to do 
uh, to do the work when it comes down, when, when it does come time for endurance training. But the other piece in that book that I, and I just stumbled across it recently, I don't know why I hadn't read it earlier. It's the part about rest and mm. nutrition and hydration. Mm. I see a lot of individuals and I talk to a lot of the individuals that work for me uh, about what, you know, what they're putting in their body. You know, it's not going to just be monsters and dominoes to uh, pizza to get mm-hmm. you through the life. Nothing against those brands, but you have to have, mm-hmm. you have to have some actual water and take care of yourself and sleep. This job mm-hmm. can absorb people. It, it absorbed me my first six months. There was no doubt I was running myself ragged. Uh, I wasn't getting enough rest. I wasn't working out. I flipped that to make sure I come in with the focus on the job. Now, the days aren't as long, but when I'm in at work, I'm rested, I'm hydrated, I'm, you know, uh, I'm ready for the day because maybe I've had that swim workout in the morning that's kind of got me, uh, you know, that's got me moving. And uh, I'm able to bring that through the day. So the endurance piece is needed as much on the triathlon course as it is in the office. As you can imagine, I can go from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting in this job for eight, nine hours a day. I I don't. Mm -hmm. I I purposely now try to put white space on my calendar uh, throughout my day. I need breaks to either just read what I'm, you know, going to be taking in later on that afternoon or just to just to take a breather and uh, go have a cup of coffee, go talk to somebody in their office and nothing on the agenda, no format to kind of reset. And mm-hmm. I, so I take those opportunities throughout the day. But how am I going to share that with people? Carrie, I hope to be as much of an author as you are one day and we'll oh, see how that stop. goes. Well, so yeah. I'm, I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're what might even feel being a little bit vulnerable about the sleep, the sleep part of it. Uh, I know at the beginning of COVID, um, you know, prior to that, I was traveling a boatload. I was doing about a hundred events a year and it was not uncommon to go five, six days in a row of, you know, if I got four hours of sleep a night, I was lucky, right? Your alarm's going off and you're like, all right, let's do it. And I know, I know it's not, you know, it's not operating in the fields of Afghanistan. I'm not over in Mosul. You know, I get that I'm safe. And yet, it's, it is not sustainable. And finally, a friend of mine, uh, another CEO was like, you need to start wearing a Fitbit. And I'm like, I don't need anybody to tell me. I don't need that kind of data, right? I know I'm tired. I don't need something actually sending me data or tracking me, telling me just how tired I am. And uh, it was shocking. It was shocking. So it's it's interesting because now it's now I look at it, you know, I have it on most of the time. I mean, I don't have it on right now, but it's on my desk um, because it's that data. Only through that data do you actually realize uh, where the room for improvement is, maybe where a blind spot is. And, you know, you look at the health piece of this. Here we are. We're still in a lot of parts of the world uh, in, in, you know, knee deep in a pandemic. And. Yes, there are things we can do to protect ourselves. And yet, what's one of the biggest elements we can all do? Get fitter, eat whole foods, and get more sleep, right? That is part of the three-stool triad on this. And somehow we're still, it doesn't feel like we're having that conversation quite enough. And heart disease is one of the biggest killers of Americans. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm I'm about to get on a soapbox. 
No, yeah, I, I, I'm with you on the soapbox because <laughs> I will say, number one, heart disease is not a disease, right? It's uh, causal factors of your diet and your health. It's there's no You're not catching a disease. Uh, you're a lot of times eating your way to that, uh, but I digress. So I know you're a fan of Rick Roll. That's how I started down my, he was early on in my influence to, to go vegan. I did that for personal health reasons. Uh, it's been a while now. I forgot 13 years, maybe somewhere in there. Um, and it has certainly helped me, but I also noticed from the time, even just eating plants, I could be overweight. I could be mm. in weight. I could, it, it, you mm-hmm. can still eat very unhealthy just because you say I'm eating plants only, mm-hmm. or I'm not mm-hmm. eating animal products. doesn't mean that you're eating to your point, whole foods, right. stuff that's not in a wrapper stuff that you make and cook at home. I, and even though we don't spend a lot of time at home cooking and experiencing that and having a relationship with the food that you eat, that's where we should be. Uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I think there's a lot of Americans that eat three meals a day through their car window. That's not mm-hmm. a healthy way to mm-hmm. to live and get your and get your nutrition. So I'm going to tie into the technology piece that you bring up here in a second. I'm just as guilty. This is the aura ring. I got that during the pandemic because it monitored your body temperature. And I was really interested to see, you know, pre-vaccine, uh, whether I had any mm-hmm. early indications that I was potentially, you know, had, had infected with COVID. But it but what I didn't realize was the great data you get from heart rate variability, your sleep, as you said. Yeah. But I think there's a balance here. And I'll use my coach. Uh, I use a triathlon coach. His name's Mateo. And um, we were talking about the, you know, my sleep and rest. And I told him I had great nights, great night of sleep. I feel energized. And he's, I would say he's a little bit of a step back as a coach. He's not, he is not. And, um, I would say, you know, pushing to wear these type of wearable devices and all that. He basically told me, he said, you know, he quoted Bob Dylan, another Minnesotan, and said, I don't need a weatherman to tell me which way the wind blows. And I was like, okay, all right, Mateo. Okay, but, uh, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to interrupt you just for a second. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yes. And that's assuming you haven't been running yourself into the ground for the last 20 years, that you've lost where the center point is or lost what's actually possible, right? Intuitively, you should be able to feel that. But when you are in a position, which a lot of people listening right now find themselves, you have been in the position for years on end where that relentless pace detunes your ability to even start trusting your intuition, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the data that's like the bucket of cold yep. water going, you're actually yep. wrong. Yeah, yeah, but as I, I don't want to chase that data though mm-hmm. as well. I, you don't know, you know how how well are these, say the Fitbit or any of these devices. While they can certainly measure some of your fatigue, you know when you're working out or you know training endurance wise, you're going to show some fatigue. I I almost simply want to look at what I didn't uh, understand part of this when I looked at. Okay, I went to bed at nine at night. I got up at five. I got eight hours of sleep. Well, not true. <laughs> you know, you look yeah. at your dad yeah. when you come back, you're like, oh my God, I only slept for five and a half hours out of that nine. Yeah. Uh, in reality, as much as, you know, some things that might disturb your sleep. So I have used that to help with my rest. I prioritize, I prioritize my sleep 100%. I do, when I mention that nine hour window, it is that uh, a nine hour window through the week, if I can. And then on the weekends, that'll 
sometimes expand a little bit as much as I can because rest is such a an important part to uh, not only physical training, but your mental acuity mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the devices that we have uh, that can help us with that. I, I'm not sure how much they're helping the average American. There's probably a lot of people that would like to change the way they look or feel or, or how they you know are in their fitness level that wear a Fitbit, count steps, and think that's just going to get them there. And there's more, right? You have to do, to your point, the triad. You got to do all the pieces of this together, not just rely on something on your your wrist um, that's going to solve your your problem. There is one last piece that I would take that I, you know, you don't really or didn't realize you'd have access to, but uh, I'm a big fan now that you can go and do your own blood panels, particularly as an athlete or particularly as me as a vegan, to make sure that the levels that I need, you know, particularly with your vitamin B12s, your Ds, your iron, folate, et cetera, what that looks like. And yes, sometimes it can be a little bit expensive. I try to do it quarterly. They're different tests than what we do in the military for our health, but to have that data available to us personally and to understand, and I think if everybody learned a little bit more about how your body works and what's required, because um, this is this is the body you get for the time, you might as well learn it and understand it as much as you know your car or your airplane. Yeah, you should you should probably figure that out. So I, I am a big fan of that. I do a lot of self. Uh, there's a lot of self testing. I take a look at a lot of the data overall and see where I can improve. Well, I want to go back to that uh, your comment about health, even and and your mental health or about sleep and your mental health. One of the things that I even talked about uh, in my book that's coming out is, is the importance of sleep. Because when you look at what's happening, particularly in the military right now, and from a leadership position, when we're trying to figure out where we're having mental health breakdowns with our, you know, with our sailors, our Marines, our soldiers, one of the primary first indicators that most often goes missed. And the question that every leader, whether it's a sergeant major or, you know, your master sergeant or chief master, you know, whatever petty officer can be asking somebody first is how are you sleeping? Because people will tell you how they are sleeping much sooner than they will tell you I'm really struggling. And there's a direct correlation to those mental health breakdowns. 80% are predictable if you ask somebody how they're sleeping, if they're coming up short on the sleep. It's a leadership Mm -hmm. gap right now. It's a, and it's just a knowledge gap, right? It's an awareness gap that if we choose our words a little more carefully or differently instead of, Hey man, how's it going? Or, you know, just keep your chin up. Just simply say, how are you sleeping? Yeah. That's interesting. That's a, it's a very good point. You know, you don't, you don't ask that a lot. Um, but you could, you can tell, you can tell if they're not, I I think there's probably some things in the military where we're working through this warrior culture of, as Mm -hmm. you can remember from deployments, et cetera, you know, you work 16, 18 hour days. That's just what you did. And, you know, that's, you're, you're the most motivated or she's the most motivated because look at how long she can work. You know, she's in here at five in the morning. She doesn't leave till midnight. She's, you know, well, I don't know how much, you know, I don't know how much productivity coming out of that after a week or so. And and we celebrate that that culture. Yeah. We do. We celebrate that. Yeah, as a culture, and it's what we should be doing is is in a way trying to reframe that with science, right? So it doesn't sound like it's coming across as some touchy feely woo woo butterflies and crystals 
you know, type of BS. Um, and that it's, Hey, if you're not getting enough sleep, you're literally operating like a drunk monkey and that is going to hurt us operationally. (laughs) It's going to hurt our decision-making and it could hurt somebody else. So how can we fix this? Right. How do we fix that? But again, that's a leadership challenge. It's always comes down to leadership, I think, and awareness. It is like, you know, the cargo company I work for, they, mm. you know, it was one of the real points where we did look at sleep and crew rest. And mm-hmm. that was one of the really, you know, when I first got to that company back in 2007, I was, I really had to, uh, oh, wow, you're right. You know, when you're flying at two in the morning, it's different than flying in, you know, the afternoons, or, mm-hmm. you know, middle of the day. So there was a conscious effort there to start learning a little bit more about sleep and rest. Well, I'm a big fan or a believer probably through experience that, uh, adversity introduces you to yourself. (laughs) I have, uh, I've taken my turn in the rock tumbler. It's not pretty. Uh, it can, it can push you sometimes to the point of breaking you. Have you found yourself in a situation ever that that was the case for you? And if so, how did you get out of it? Yeah, that's a good question. And there are, you know, I've mentioned some of the, the, the other, you know, early failures that I had, the rock tumbler piece, you know, being, you know, doubting your own capabilities, I think for me happened when I tried, uh, you know, working out there in Hollywood for a little bit, tough business, but, you know, I had some confidence going in that I think I could, thought I could make some of that work. And I, in some ways I did, but never in my life had I been told no, or simply treated like subhuman than I had in that industry. And it was, very questioning. I was running myself ragged, flying from Pensacola to LA and back and mm-hmm. forth, Memphis mm-hmm. and Marine Corps reserves and trying to do it all at once. And uh, it wore me down. And I think, uh, you, you know, as I did that for almost eight years, if it was not for, you know, my deployment to Baghdad in 2014, that kind of stopped that. That was because mm-hmm. I, I wasn't going to let myself quit. So to your point, you know, we're yeah. of, how do you, do you recognize you're in a rock tumbler? You know, you're in trouble. You know, you can't find your way out, but you're not, I wasn't willing to quit either. I wasn't, and I'm still not quitting, but I, I wasn't, I couldn't find a way to do my graceful exit, right? Of, all right, I tried it. I'm going to go back and, and, uh, you know, be a cargo pilot and, and, you know, still work in the Marine Corps reserves, which are two great jobs. But a deployment and my part in the military, I guess, kind of pulled me out of that funk got me away from, from that industry a little bit. Uh, so I, I don't think I saved myself. I think there was a, just a series of events that, that changed my priorities in life once I was deployed and it never, so it kind of pulled me out of that, if that makes sense. Do you think part of that too, though, when you look back, even though you felt like you were all in because you were making sacrifices, you were, I think I remember you saying you got a, you know, you got an acting coach, you're trying to do kind of the bi-coastal living arrangement or thinking about that, but, but you were doing more than one thing, which also meant then you weren't available to do some of the other things. True. There wasn't a focus on one or the other. So where I was in that spot, you know, I couldn't always be present out in Los Angeles. I had to go actually make some money. My kids were young, you know, I was married Mm -hmm. at the time and there was, I had responsibilities. So I did have other jobs that I was doing at the time in the Marine Corps Reserve. I'd never thought of myself as still continuing today. You know, 28 years later, I thought I'd just go to my 20, get my reserve retirement. So it was kind of like I was in a middle ground while I was thought I was really doing a ton of effort 
on my acting career and I was doing the coaching, the classes, the mm -hmm. improv. It was, it wasn't, it was, you know, I approached it like a Marine, you know, we had, I had a plan, I had some training, I was going to, you know, make your connections, but I was also not giving the Marine Corps full attention. I was also not giving my, my cargo career, uh, uh, mm -hmm. my full attention to, so when one of those dropped, I was able to focus more on my Marine Corps career, decide I wanted to, you know, attempt to be a commanding officer, get selected for that. And then before I knew it, there was some momentum going as I continued my path in the Marine Corps Reserve that seemed to work for me. And then I was able to take that momentum for personal satisfaction and continue to serve. And I turned that energy around into this job, knowing that if there are things that I want to do, and it might not be acting, but to my, what are, you know, I talk about writing or creating, I still love TV. I love movies, good, you know, quality stuff. I've got time for that. And maybe, you know, maybe mm -hmm. I've assumed mm -hmm. that, yeah, I'm going to be working for the next 20, 30 years. I'll do that when I'm 80. Why not? You know, what's, I don't, I don't doubt that I, I couldn't find a way to, to still be part of it. Well, I think it's kind of funny because, I mean, people would, again, looking from the outside in go, well, of course you're going to be successful in Hollywood. You know, you're this reasonably articulate, probably what an average person would say, reasonably good looking. And how are you not going to be successful? And and you did get some good pieces, right? Mm -hmm. Like you were in 13 Hours, you, yeah. Captain Phillips. That was through military connections too, though, right? It was... That is one community that's out there in Hollywood that you could have some type of engagement with. The, this tribe mm -hmm. that we form ourselves in, either as Marines or sailors, quite honestly, the producer that got me the most work was uh, a Coast Guardsman, right? So, but, mm -hmm. but he, there's, there are individuals out there that recognize, you know, the effort of, of military personnel. I will say that, um, you know, if it wasn't for uh, Dana Brunetti and a couple of those uh, spots, it wouldn't have you know, that never would have come to fruition. I, I have no doubt, though, that there, when you look at the the varied web of your career and your life experience, that that if you choose to dip your toe back into that in whatever way, shape, or form it may be, whether that's in front of the camera, behind the camera, or writing, you know, I'm, I'm going to cut you a little slack, not that you're asking for it, and I wasn't <laughs> even going to put you on the spot about writing. I think it's really hard and having just finished another book, it's super hard to write when you're on the road and when you're busy and you're having to do a lot of deep thinking and decision-making work. I think that there are different creative outlets you could do at the same time. So whether that's painting or, I don't know, you know, doing an Ironman. Uh, I think that lights up your area of the brain, the training for a triathlon at that elite level, the same way when you have an opportunity to do deep focus writing probably does. Even though physiologically the rest of the systems are different, I bet your brain lights up the same. And what's hard is when you think you want to write, but you're so exhausted by your quote day job that you can't do it. And then because you're such a high performer, you end up in this little shame spiral of, uh, am I avoiding it? Do I have writer's block? You know, and writer's block, I just think is, I mean, I kind of think it's bullshit a little bit yeah. because you can always write whether or not it's going to be yeah. good, worthwhile stuff is, is, is a bit of a different, uh, answer to that. But 
I'm not a naturally confident writer. Uh, I think my brother is an amazing writer. He was always the one who could bang out papers in college. He has his master's. He's had a 27-year amazing military career. He's a chief pilot now for a big company. Like, he's so smart. I'm the one who's like, I got a B minus in sophomore English because I was bored. I'm not the writer. He is. Yeah. So all of my writing, I put through the filter of who's going to want to read this because I don't write as well as my brother does. And it feels like it's been an anchor, right, for decades. Yeah. But eventually you sit down, you duct tape yourself to the chair and you go, I'm going to do it. It may not be for everybody. It's my writing only has maybe one nine syllable word in it if there's some science involved because I want my writing to be very conversational. It's not academic in nature. And I think the only way you can do that is by being vulnerable enough to, you know, put pen to paper or letters in your Google doc, but it's, it's not yep. easy for those people yeah. who writing's easy. Good for them. I put a pox on your house. <laughs> yeah. I'm so, yes. I'm so, I'm so jealous with that. I, uh, yeah. And you make a good point because there's a lot of writing that I do in my day job, not, mm -hmm. you know, writing like novels or whatever. There's just a lot of times where you have to put thought to paper or emails or how, how do you craft, um, you know, succinct, meaningful information to uh, a four-star general, right? And some of that takes work. You know, you always hear that quote of, you know, I, I apologize that this letter is so long. I didn't have time to write one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah. you spend a lot of time cutting it down and getting it, getting it to the meat. So I do, I, I think I do expend some of that energy during the day uh, doing that. Although we talked about the book Endure and what your brain does for physical fitness and training. I certainly think uh, that while I don't feel like writing, I could go jump on the bike trainer for two hours and know that I'm going to, you know, feel some pain, smash myself, mm -hmm. that but I know that that training is going into a bank that I can use somewhere. And it also allows my brain to kind of free think while I'm doing that. Absolutely. Or as I go on a long run, it's become a little bit therapeutic uh, in, in, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, to do this. I, I think I'm able to do a lot of thinking. I, I usually come back from either a long ride or a long run. I've got a lot of other ideas that I enter into my notepad on my iPhone you know, get them in there as soon as I can when, you know, when I get back. So yeah. there's something to that. Like you said, it energizes or at least lights up that part of the brain again. Um, you know, when I'm running, running or biking and, or swimming and uh, it, the swimming is a hard part. I get a lot of great ideas in the pool, but there's no other way to, you know, I can't, I, I, I always forget them because then I start losing count of how many laps I've done. And then before you know it, I've lost the idea. It's frustrating. Yeah, you're done. I told uh, one of my one of my friends who's written several books when I was working in my first one, I was like, I'm not kidding. I come up with some of my best joiners or thinking about a process or a connection when I'm in the shower. And he was like, that doesn't surprise me. 
And I'm like, yeah, but I can't do anything. And like, I feel like they're like literally the best words, best ideas I've ever come up with. And by the time I'm toweling off, it is gone. Like I have mm-hmm. no ability to recall it. So he ended up sending me like this little notepad that's, I don't know, it's not waterproof, but like you can stick it on your, it's got little suction cups. You can put it on your shower and write down oh, what you're wow. thinking about. I know I didn't do that. I just grabbed like a bar of soap. I glass shower doors and I'd write down like three words. And then when I get done, I'm like, okay, what does that say? That'd be so, enough. Yeah. When do I get to read said book? What, you know, I, I, you know, I've read the first one, I've been, you know, you inspired me with that one. Now I see you with a second one and here I am still at zero. (sighs) So I really want to understand when, uh, what is this, when is this coming out for you? June 1st. So it drops June 1st. Yeah. Right around the corner. It's right around the corner. Good. It is right around the corner. Oh, I know. Scary. Now I'm now see now now I'm in this vulnerable space, right? Yeah. Because I'm like, oh, what if I was super excited? I got a couple of uh I hate to talk about me, but I got a couple of really good endorsements. Admiral McRaven sent Great. and I sent him a PDF. And he said, because it hadn't even gone to print, I hadn't even gotten the mm-hmm. advanced reader copies yet. You know, that's those are the soft copy ones where you find hopefully any typos or whatever. And he was like, yeah, no, that's not going to work for me. I actually need a physical copy. So we had to make a, a nice. you know, hard effort to to try to nice. push a copy out really fast. Yeah. So then I, you know, I FedEx that to him and then sit for the next two weeks on pins and needles. Because what if he comes back and says, you know what? Nah, I'm good. Good luck. Yeah. It was, it's scary. It's scary. I mean, it's, it's great. Ugh. Yeah. What a power so, move. I need to remember that. I don't want it. Nope. I can, electronic mm, doesn't work. I need some. No, I need that a, doesn't. I need a physical work for copy. Oh, great. God. Oh, I was terrible. I was I like, it's going to be reading. a no. You know, I spend a lot of time reading. I spend a lot of time listening to books and podcasts. And there's so much to consume and a lot of good stuff out there. Um, when When you were writing, did you have to stop reading, stop listening to podcasts? You just have to kind of just focus on you and your book, right? You you can't consume media at the same time you're trying to create it. Is, is that a fair statement? Well, no, I think that's actually, that's, that's probably reasonably fair. This one, actually, I didn't do, um, I didn't do like a hard press. I'd been working on it for a couple of years. You know, I had, and I'll end up probably posting a couple of pictures on social media, but I had 175 pages of handwritten, handwritten pages on legal pads and just a shit show in of word docs right of as i was on the road now i'm on a laptop now i'm on my iphone right trying to capture a note so trying to aggregate that and then thread ideas together and so much had changed but i definitely when i'm writing the one thing i don't do i don't consume any information in my genre um, because i don't want it to be i don't want to inadvertently lift somebody else's idea. I don't want my, uh, my approach to be kind of guided by somebody else's idea or, or, you know, whatever, but I, but I'm a voracious reader as well. I love podcasts. I do not have enough hours in my day for listening to podcasts. Um, but I do, you know, I'll listen, I listen to some cyber stuff. I'll listen to, um, just different genres and I'm, I am, although I will allow for, I say, I don't listen. I don't read anything that I'm writing about. I, I would say my niche is pretty much leadership and high performance. 
But what I do still read a lot of, I read a lot of research about athletes and high performing athletes. I've got, uh, some friends who are top level coaches right now. And so I'm always, I'm always studying that, right. The physiology, the psychology behind performance. And I think it overlaps. I think it overlaps in business, but that I can't not consume. And in the last year during COVID, you know, different, probably different than you, I have a Peloton and I would flip my iPad on and I'd watch documentaries. I'd watch tons of movies. I didn't listen to anybody cheering for me or screaming or yay, you know, climb this mountain 45 more minutes. Nope. The volume goes down and I just ride and grind and sweat and same thing. That's where I'm able to, it's in this weird pain space that if I'm pretty sweaty, that like, it's (laughs) like, that's when my brain starts lighting up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, we were, I think, almost the same time with the Peloton. I think you might have started a little bit before me on the Peloton because uh, it had been a few years ago when mm-hmm. I was still in Memphis. And that was my, that was really my gateway drug to what I'm doing now with half Ironmans. I was doing That's a Peloton crazy. through the winter in Memphis And then decided I wanted to try to ride outside. I bought a bike. I'm not a cyclist at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of riding a little bit. And then when I moved up here for this job, you know, got connected with a a good friend of mine, another former Blue Angel. He's a retired Marine Colonel who's done these triathlons forever. Unfortunately, guided me a little bit, you know, as we started along the way. We both have the same triathlon coach now. So that Peloton sessions half hour sessions that I could barely get through to now five and a half hour workouts on a Saturday, uh, just as a normal Saturday is, uh, it, it took a while to get there, but I've enjoyed it. That's the first 70 point three yeah. I ran, you know, I, I, I think I mentioned to you, I qualified for the world championships in September in my age group, everybody, not, mm-hmm. not just as the, uh, but as my age group, as I get older, I, maybe things get a little bit easier. Uh, I've got another race coming up next weekend. And I've really enjoyed the race environment now that we're out of this pandemic, people are getting together and, and the competition has been great. And it's sort of a, I don't know, I, I, I don't try to dwell too much on where I place or how I'm doing, although the competitive piece is there. I've learned so much about myself and training and throughout the way. It's been mm-hmm. a great couple of years. The pandemic in that regard for me was, was a good thing because I was able to continue my biking and running. I kind of did the opposite. Uh, we lived in Memphis for uh, a bit as well. And I got some of the guys that I was working with who had all been triathletes were like, hey, we should go out and do the triple bypass in Colorado. Now, again, I was like a division one pre-Olympic rower. So I'm all about the pain and the grind, right? I'm like, I am so in. So yeah. the triple bypass is, I think it's like 120 miles through the mountains, right? Like one day race. And I'm like, I'm totally doing this. I am so all in. And it's hard to get in. It's a really competitive, you know, as soon as they open up the floodgates, the internet crashes as people are trying to get into the triple bypass. So I have everything set up. I've got my conference calls all lined up. I know I'm not, you know, I've got this time when the gates open. I get in. Nobody else gets in. So I end up investing in a high-end road bike, you know, got the whatever magneto trainer thing i'm just like i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this for those of you not familiar um memphis doesn't have any hills 
And so I'm also traveling and a couple of the guys who, one of them had grown up in Colorado was like, Hey, uh, you're doing this by yourself. Uh, you know, you go like 50, 55 miles an hour downhill, right? So the closer I get to this, I'm only doing this on a trainer and I'm realizing this could be a spectacularly bad idea. Like I know where my brakes are on my trainer. There are no hills to train with. So I end up not doing it. Selling that bike and I've been Peloton based ever since. It's the shame of my athletic career. It's about as fast as I've gone on a bike. 55. That's it's uh, it's no joke. Like you're, you're, you're moving. And I would, and for sure, even though it seems like most accidents or fatalities in triathlon happen during the swim, I think just due to more cardiac events than anything, the bike is probably the most dangerous thing I do uh, here training. I have found, I am actually, mm-hmm. I do a lot of training on the trainer. It might be a three-hour workout. It's stationary. You can mm-hmm. control it. You can control yeah. the power output. You don't have to worry about stop signs. You don't have to worry about getting hit by a car. And quite honestly, you have a little bit better control over your fitness. But you do have to get over or get outside on a bike to get those bike handling skills. Make sure mm-hmm. you know you can actually ride a bike, to your point, you know, before you get to a race and uh, and goon it all up. So Just the forum fatigue. I mean, it's yeah. – I. Uh... I have a good friend, Allison Levine, and and uh, we, I mean, we talk about life stuff all the time, but, you know, one of the things she tries to even tell people, she scaled all seven summits, all the seven highest summits wow. around the world. She skied both North and South Poles. She's as big as wow. a tiny canary. She's just an itty bitty thing. And she was like, people don't realize how many people don't make it down the hill, you know, because you have this euphoric moment. You've, you know, you've reached the pinnacle. You're successful. Yeah. You got to get back down. And they're so tired that they end up not finishing, not making it back to base camp. So it's that, Uh. you know, it's that, it's that balance and that balance of testing limits, right? Which goes back to endurance that, that when you're going to be a high performer, you, you actually have to in training and you know, this from flying, you know, this, what you're doing now, you have to push yourself beyond what you think is possible so that you know in extremis, maybe what's not possible, right? Yeah. Well, I'm from northern Minnesota, so I hate the cold, and I, I could never climb a mountain and do those things that she did. <laughs> I, I I have no interest in, Me neither. Uh, in Me doing neither. that. I say that now. That is just that is really uh, foreign to me. I've, I've I certainly enjoy watching you know some of the things that are done, but there are some incredible people that have the. Uh, uh, like you said, that's the mindset to go after some really just physically seems impossible mm-hmm. uh, and they're able to, able to complete it. Hey, I'm going to throw at you just a couple of, uh, last, if you have just about another minute and a half, I know we've gone super long here. Yeah. Another minute and a half or so. I, yeah. I have to go in and do some cybers carry. So, um, let's do this. Okay. So these are going to be kind of like a Rorschach inkbot test. Don't overthink it. Mm. Don't overthink it. Not trick questions. Okay. All right. um, just five of them. So you you can Ready. you can do this. What's your go-to music that you listen to when you work out? Led Zeppelin. Mm. Who do you think of as a mentor, and what did you need to learn from them? Well, I think of my dad as a mentor, oh. just in life, like overall, um, hard work, 
but he's also very compassionate. He has a lot of empathy for people that have steered off the right path. He, you know, he worked very hard and then he transitioned to being involved with a low security prison and working with prisoners and talking about recidivism and just the passion that he had for that and the empathy that he could take for somebody that isn't perfect. And I have to realize that not everybody's perfect. Mm. What I experience in life, what I've experienced in the pandemic is completely different what somebody else might've experienced. I, I, I really try to take his um, guidance of not judging and just being considerate of other, of other people as much as I can. Yeah. That's my dad. That's beautiful. You're going to, you're going to make me have a little lump in my throat. Fighter pilots don't cry. So no, I'm going yep. to move on to number three. Uh, what's the biggest misperception people have of you? That success is easy. That my life is perfect. Mm. You know, that it was all part of a plan. Uh, as I mentioned, I, I do have two boys in college. I am divorced. It's not that things have gone absolutely perfect in my life. I have relationships that I'd like to repair uh, with family. It, you know, everybody has sort of these dynamics. So not 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 everything is as it seems. I'm not hiding things from anybody, but it just mm-hmm. there seems to have been some sense of casualties along the way. Then um, those are those are things that'll probably you know make me uh, pause to think. That's honest. Thanks for sharing that. Who plays you in yeah. a movie? That's a that's a that's a wicked hard pivot, by the way, right out of your answer to that question. I don't know who plays me in a movie. Um, Tom Hardy. Yeah, I would like Tom Hardy. He's a, a talented actor. Um, I would be, I'd be uh, ecstatic. He grinds. If he was, yeah, he's really yeah, good. Yeah, he grinds. All right, last question for you. We have $100, a full tank of gas, and the day off. Where are we going? Oh, I am going to, no, from we, right here, from where? We, we you we, and me. We, oh. where are we going? Not you. It's not all about you, sir. Oh, we. Where are There's the we, we going? team. Where are we going? I would say that the day is going to start. It would start with good coffee, right? It has to start with good coffee somewhere. I don't care. You know, it might be a little bit of a drive, get out somewhere, but just good, um, good coffee. And then the rest of that money can be spent at whatever um vegan drive-through we can find uh <laughs> as we as as we as we just continue to uh to roll down the road I, i've seen i think maybe it's because of what i've watched recently you know with one of the last iron man races in and around uh st george utah but i think mm. driving through the moab somewhere out west somewhere at the mountains that's where you would end up in a car with me in a hundred dollars Hey, so um, pro tip, that would be really fun. And I discovered last summer, I don't like being in the right passenger seat going through Glacier National Park. I totally is it get all vertigo. hanging off the right. Is it all off the right side? I don't Drops know. like six thousand feet down. Uh, yeah. uh, so I'm not sure if I have control issues. Like I'm the one who oh, yeah. wants to be in control. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, totally. so I might, I, I might have you. to hop in the back seat if you're driving yeah. or you can let me drive. I would totally let you drive. I'm fine with that. I would Perfect. totally let you drive. Yes. I, I know what I could go really wrong, okay right? Two fighter pilots in a car with a hundred dollars. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? You know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, right. That would be, a, that would be a good day. I would enjoy that Carrie. It would be a good day off and it would be a good conversation. And maybe you would convince me to write my damn book. 
Mm, Wow. You know what? You have more mountains to conquer before you do that, or uh, should I say more Ironmans to conquer? You've got the next few months are going to be amazing for you. So I... I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. And like I alluded to a little bit earlier, I know you just hopped back on social media, but if somebody wanted to either follow you, uh, Mm. looking for some training tips, some inspiration, or maybe they want to keep an eye on you because they want to hire you at some point when you, (laughs) when you age out of the current system, uh, where can they find you? Uh, So I just got back onto Instagram after talking with my buddy, Terry James in Seattle, and I am on no other platform. So Instagram and it's uh, at Len Anderson IV, because I'm Len Anderson the fourth, uh, which is what that stands for. Uh, You know, it's gonna be a lot of training photos, perhaps, you know, right now, Ironman's my thing. I do talk about Marine Corps stuff and a little bit of cybersecurity, but that is primarily where I'm gonna be found for now. I do have, you know, intentions of perhaps expanding some of that reach uh, in the future. But yeah, I'm certainly open to uh, conversation uh, on that platform. It seems to be, it seems to be a little bit friendlier platform than like Twitter trolls and the other mm-hmm. things that I see. So I'm going to hang on Instagram for a while, Carrie, that's where I'll be. Perfect. All right. Well, they can go follow you there. Drop it. Slide into your DMs, as they say. <laughs> oh, is that what it is? Okay. See, I, I've, I've I know. lost it so much. I don't even Ask- know. Ask the young kids, they'll tell you. Yeah, all right, yeah, Yeah. I will. Hey, thanks for joining us, and uh, everybody, thanks for listening today. For any links, resources, please visit carrielawrence.com. If you want to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing that you can do is to take a second to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and eventually even maybe on YouTube. Uh, But sharing the show or your favorite episodes with friends is always appreciated. And if you want some more information, can text the word fearless to 33444 to join tens of thousands of others. Hop onto an email list that you will get lots of valuable tools, but only sporadically from me. So thank you all so much for tuning in. Know that I appreciate you taking the time to listen and for dropping by my office.